First Peter chapter four. We have one phrase in verse one to finish before we go on to verse two and following. I'm kind of in your way, aren't I, Jason? So verse 1 is says, since, therefore, and so it's a therefore, so it's continuing from what he had been teaching earlier. Uh, since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead and that though judged in the flesh the people, the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks, oracles of God, Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Back to verse 1. Christ suffered in the flesh. Therefore, he says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking for whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin um, two there's kind of parallel statements the first refers to Christ Christ suffered whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin we know that is not Christ Christ didn't cease from sin he never did sin so that applies to believers uh, and then the last phrase that we're looking at, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. In chapter 2, verse 22, we know that Jesus committed no sin, and deceit wasn't found in his mouth, as Peter quotes from Isaiah. So again, we know that is not talking about Christ. That's talking about, that refers to us. This last phrase. So the comparison says here that in some way or another, therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, we're to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking that Christ had, have the mind of Christ, 
who uh, bore our sins on the cross. He was obedient to the point of death. So we're to arm ourselves, we're to prepare ourselves uh, to live in such a way that, well, we may not suffer in dying, but we be willing to be obedient even if it is to the point of death. So the comparison is that we should in some way uh, be made conformable to the death of Christ. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, so that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him or conformable to him in his death. He bore the wrath for our sins. God made him who knew no sin but to, to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Uh, in 2.24, looking back, Peter says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. So uh, uh, we have to deal with this. Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Right? So does that mean if we go out and look for suffering, and if we can suffer, then we'll quit sinning? That can't be what that means, right? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that we have be, we are done with sin as an issue of our life. Now, that doesn't mean we don't sin, but we have determined ourselves. We have ceased from sin. Uh, we have determined ourselves that we are dead to sin. Are we dead to sin or are we dying to sin? We're dead. We're dead to sin. Whether we look at uh, Romans chapter 6, uh, we've died to sin uh, here in 324, or 224, uh, he himself bore our sins that we might die to sin. Uh, so uh, we are, we have died to sin. And when we identify ourselves completely with Christ, we can know that we are done with sin. We're dead to sin. And then we need to make that a reality in our life. If we're dead to sin, we need to reckon ourselves, consider ourselves dead indeed to sin. And that's uh, how it is that we be make what's true about us, dead to sin, real in our lives. Uh, We've abandoned, we abandoned the life of sin. The ruling power of sin is gone. Sin has no more dominion over us. Though we're unable to live a perfect life, it doesn't dominate us as believers. In fact, let's turn to Romans 6. Turn to Romans 6 with me, and we'll come back here in a second. Verse 1, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? 
by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Go down to verse, let's jump down to verse 19. Uh, Let's go up to 15, just to read for a while. What then, are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Of course not, by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin... You were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end or its goal, its terminus point is eternal life, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, we don't seek suffering so that um, we might break with sin. That's, uh, that's no guarantee. It may help us understand life if we suffer, But the act of breaking sin is past if you're in Christ. When you were saved, you you became dead to sin, the dominance of sin. Uh, You're no longer a slave to sin. The dominance has been uh, broken. And you have ceased, as he says, as as Peter says there in verse 1 of chapter 4, those who have suffered in the flesh have ceased from sin or have been made to cease with sin. It can be a, a, a passive where we've been freed. Paul says we've been freed from sin, released from sin. God's, God's the one who has stopped us from living in continuous sin. It's his doing initially. Um, so... What Peter's driving at, the purpose of Christ's suffering and death and the resulting freedom from sin encourages us to put on our armor, to arm ourselves with the same mind, with the mind of Christ, encouraging us to be faithful. Uh, And uh, that led him, led Christ to be obedient to the point of death which leads us to be willing to be obedient, even if it were to mean that, that we would be faithful 
And we arm ourselves with the mind of Christ, with the mentality of Christ who determined, I'll suffer, or I became obedient to the point of death. Would you? You've got to arm yourself with the mind of Christ. Uh, it's what Peter said, the one who has died has been set free from sin. Yeah, we die, we don't sin anymore, of course. But we have been set free, therefore, to make that a reality, we have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer as believers? And this, for this to become actual, we have to commit ourselves to be done with sin. To hate it, to fight against it. For as he thinks within himself, as a man reckons within his soul, so he is. We need to think right. And so we abandon, verse 2. And let me, um, what, verse 1, Since therefore Christ had suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, so as, I left out that last phrase of one, but we arm ourselves so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles uh, want to do. So as he's uh, working through these thoughts of uh, Ceasing from sin in actuality in our life, being done with sin, um, what he's uh, encouraging, uh, we abandon this life. The ruling power of sin has been broken. We're freed from its dominance. God is the one who has freed us, yet in the power of the Spirit, we need to, we, by the power of the Spirit, we do it to make it a reality in our life. This is our responsibility in our sanctification. We exchange our natural passions, these human passions, for the will of God so that sanctification, since God initiates it, is guaranteed, but it doesn't come automatically. It comes as we yield ourselves to Christ as we commit ourselves not to sin, to become what God says we are already, to begin to live like he sees us, holy and blameless before him, and reminds them of their past life. He's already done that a couple of times. Verse 3, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. However long you lived in sin, that's plenty. You don't need any more of that, he says. You've lived for the devil. You've lived in sin long enough if you're a Christian. And so uh, the time that has passed suffices. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and Lawless idolatry. Depending on when you were saved, depending on what your life was like, you were in varying degrees of this list of sins plus others. That's enough. Peter's saying to us, that's enough. Uh, life is short. 
however long we live, we have to live the rest of our life, we seek to live according to the will of God. We exchange those human passions for the will of God. Life is short. Before you'll know it, you'll be as old as me and Joe Ashwood. <laughs> and it will, it will sneak up on you fast. And um, uh, so, uh, Romans 13, 12 through 14 says this, The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desire. Paul says essentially the same thing right there in Romans that's 13, 12 through 14. And here, verse 4, as we do this, or as you do this, they... With respect to this, they, and they go being the Gentiles, the lost, the folks you used to run with before your conversion, um, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Uh, I just have, are your friends surprised at your behavior? Those who knew you before you were saved. Are they surprised? Or are you still enough like you used to be that there's not that big of a difference? But as we begin to become what we really are already, with respect to this, they are surprised. They're baffled. They are, it's a strange thing. They're amazed. They're struck by your different behavior, by your new mentality. If you live according to the mind of Christ, you go back to 315. If you sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart and you live that way with Christ as the ruler, they'll wonder what, what's the deal. There'll be a stark contrast. I told you, some of you have heard me talk before about shortly before I came home on leave, uh, one of the times we had just gotten back from a patrol and uh, I was with my roommate and we would hang out in a the park there in uh, Hawaii, in Honolulu, and just hang out in the park. And there was a stage in the park, and it was probably Young Life or some Christian group singing on the stage. And that was not quite our cup of tea, but they were singing, and they were making music. And then after they sang, they came down into the park and began to witness to people in the park. And I saw them coming. <laughs> and so I went the other way. They captured Big Dog, the guy I was with. Uh, big, uh, big Dog got caught. And so uh, after, when Big Dog and I hooked up again that evening, he said, oh, they're coming by the house tomorrow, by the apartment tomorrow. Man, I hoorahed Big Dog. I, you just got caught with those guys, and you couldn't say no, could you? And then a few weeks later, I came home on leave, and the Lord saved me. And I went back, 
who do you think was the first person I talked to? Big dog. Big dog, something's happened to me. And you know what he said to me? Remember what you said? And he was much nicer than I was. He didn't hoorah me too bad at all. In fact, eventually he got saved. Not so much because of my witness, but eventually he was saved after we both got out. But uh, he was surprised when I came back, having been saved a few weeks before. Uh, Is there a difference with respect to these things as we live Do people know your life is different? Maybe you've been a Christian a long time. You work with people day after day after day. Do they know that there's just something different about you? Your neighbors, your friends, your family. I know some of you families really know the difference. But what Peter's trying to say they're surprised. You catch them off guard. You become a foreigner. Your language. Um, uh, you're speaking a foreign language to them. They can't understand the natural thing. The natural man can't understand the spiritual things uh, of God. They're unable to understand. It's not just your theology that you're talking to them, but they can't understand the theology of your life. Why would you do these things if we would live this way? People would notice. Some won't like it. Some will malign you. If you've lived as a Christian very long, faithfully as a Christian, you've been maligned in small Other won't. Others won't get it. Others will be sympathetic. They'll all watch you. They'll want to see. They know talk's cheap. They don't trust anybody. They want to see. Uh, I remember the fella, one fella that who came into the department where I was working, and I was talking to him for the first time about it. He says, "You're just, you're just kind of weak. You need a crutch. I don't need that crutch. I'm just fine by myself." Um, but. They will give an account to him, verse 5, who's ready to judge the living and the dead. There is a day of accounting. That's why Peter is talking this way. Uh, For this is why, verse 6, the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. This is why we preach the gospel. This is why we, by the Spirit, uh, cease from sinning to give credibility to our message that the Lord Jesus will change your life. And some react, I mean, you know, when Paul preached, some put him off, some mocked him, and some received the gospel, received the Lord Jesus. And that's the greatest preacher, greatest Christian preacher that we know of. And so when you talk, when you share they're going to, you're going to get the same responses, but there will be a day of accounting. Chapter 1, verse 17, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, concept, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. 
We're in our exile. We're living in a foreign land. We're strangers to the world living in a foreign land. And Peter says there'll be a day of accounting. Romans 14, 12, each one will give an account of himself to God. Peter preaching at Cornelius's, he commanded us to preach the, to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Who's, who's the judge? Peter seems to say it's the Father. But when he preached to Cornelius, it's Jesus. Paul says it's Jesus. So the Father designates and, and hands over, gives the authority to judge to the Lord Jesus, and we'll all be judged. We'll all face him. Um, Matthew 25. You can turn there. This is the end of the uh, of, of the Olivet Discourse when Jesus talks about the signs of the end of the age. And in the ESV, at least, Matthew 25, beginning of verse 31, the final judgment. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you a drink? When you, and when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed it into eternal fire. For the prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it. You did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There's a day of accounting. Uh, every knee will bow, of course, as we talk about in Philippians. 
who all appear before the judge. Uh, none will be able to avoid it or hide. The evidence really shows that, again, the Father has designated Christ for the judgment. Back in 1 Peter, verse 6, this is why the gospel was preached. This is why we are commanded to share the gospel. Because there is a day of accounting. And I don't know if you're bothered by preach to those who are dead. For sure that's not talking about a second chance for those who've died. But he, it, it's Jesus is... Uh, uh, Jesus and the apostles after him preached. Many heard. Some believed. And they have since died. He didn't preach to dead people. They were dead in their sins. But he preached. Some believed, some didn't. And now they've since died. Because of the coming judgment, they urgently preached the gospel even to those who were dead so that though judged in the flesh the way people are, though um, in the flesh were judged as men are judged, you know, the judgment of death which came with the sin of Adam still affects all die so that, preach the gospel, so that they might live in the spirit, in the realm of the spirit as God does, and live spiritually if they believe Christ, the Christ of the gospel. Truly, truly, Jesus says, I, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So we either die in faith or we die uh, or not in faith. Peter says the reason for the urgency of the gospel is there's this accountability coming. We'll all stand. We'll face Christ. Having bowed to him in this life, We'll be welcomed into the joy of the Lord. If we don't bow to him in this life, we'll bow to him then at the day of judgment. And we'll be banished. Those who refuse to bow to Christ in life at the judgment will bow to Christ, call him Lord, be banished into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth forever and ever, and God will be glorified to the glory of God. Anything? The end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is, Peter says, approaching. The end of all things is near. Uh, John the Baptist preached, repent, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus' first recorded call was repent, the kingdom 
of heaven is at hand. He sent out his apostles, his disciples, preach, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it's near. How near? We've talked about that in our Revelation class a little bit. We don't know how near, but it's near. It's nearer than it was. And Peter says, the end of all things is hand, therefore. Uh, it sounds like a broken record, I would imagine, to some, but anytime the epistles in particular talk about the second coming, there's always a therefore. How are we going to live because Jesus is coming back? And that's what Peter does in these next few verses. There's the therefore. Uh, we, we tend to spend our time trying to figure out the end times. And once we get a handle on it or once we think maybe we're there, we stop. And the Bible's teaching of the second coming never stops at the return of Christ. There's always for us who are still alive. Therefore, how are we going to behave? What do we do now? Yes, Jesus is coming back. And from here to here, we have many different ideas about how that's going to play itself out. But however it plays itself out, Jesus is coming. Peter says the end is near. Therefore, now be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Need to think right. First, therefore, he talks about here. Jesus is coming back. In the meantime now, be self-controlled and sober-minded. That's fruit of the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Think straight. Be sensible. Have an ordered way of life, free from the, the, the sober-minded, free from every form of mental and spiritual excess and confusion. Be clear-headed, be calm, collected, dispassionate, if you were one of the dictionaries, dispassionate. That doesn't mean don't have any emotions, but don't let the emotions run away with you concerning these things. And the reason that we need to be clear-headed and uh, 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 sober-minded and self-controlled is for the sake of our prayer, so we can pray rightly. we got to be thinking right to know how to pray right, that our prayers may be answered, that we may pray well, Above all, verse 8, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So the call is to love one another. Uh, as we're, If you're reading through 1 John right now, one of the tests of a Christian is we love each other. We love to be with Christian people. And part of the call to love is because we'll be compassionate with each other. Love will cover a multitude of sins. We err on the side of mercy rather than the side of, uh, I don't know, justice. Because we know how much 
how merciful God has been to us, how merciful he's been for us to even be here tonight. Think of all, we were uh, talking last night at the dinner table, all the mercies of the providences of God that you have made it this far. How many times have you been protected and didn't even know it? How many times can, have you looked back and seen the hand of God in situations you, had, you just could not understand what was going on and what God was doing with your life? Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Be gladfully hospitable. Be grateful that you can be hospitable. And of course, that hospitality can play itself out in many ways. Whether people are in your homes, whether you take uh, help people with their needs and take meals, whatever it is, however the opportunities arise, be hospitable without grumbling. Oh, verse 10, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Peter's list of spiritual gifts is much more general than Paul's. Whether you go to 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul gives a, a number of gifts, uh, uh, I've seen anywhere from 12 to 19 gifts listed there, depending on who the author is and what he determines a spiritual gift is. Um, Peter gives two, talking and serving. And of course, talking is... Serving if you're using your spiritual gift, right? As each one has received a gift. Got one? Do we just have one? Um, Peter seems to think so. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Um, I don't know what your experience has been, how... Do you know what gift you have? How is it you determined what gift you have? I took so many spiritual gift tests over the years that I knew how to answer them to get whatever gift I wanted to have at the particular time that I was taking the test. <laughs> you know, I mean, we don't have a biblical test for our spiritual gifts. I appreciate Peter here. Um, when I put Peter together with Romans 12, I've sort of uh, come up, I, I won't say a theology, but an idea of how to, how to determine uh, what gift we have. We don't depend on man-made spiritual gift tests. There's not one. I mean, there are a bunch of them. But it's man-made. It's designed by man. Um, 
But we, uh, uh, Peter's, again, Peter just breaks them up. Speaking gifts for teaching and prophesying, uh, not, not, pre- not predicting the future, but proclaiming the word. Um, in Romans 12, in fact, you might turn to Romans 12. I'm going to use that as sort of our, our, our picture of, he's got seven gifts lifted, listed in Romans 12. Paul does. And, and Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it as good stewards of, very, of the varied grace of God, the, the multifaceted grace of God. Here Paul says in verse 6, having various gifts or having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So he's using Peter's same language, maybe a little bit different words, but the same point. He says, let us use them. Then he lists prophecy, service, verse 7, teaching, in verse 7, exhortation, the one who exhorts, uh, the one who contributes or gives, the one who leads, and the one who is merciful or does acts of mercy. So, Peter says we've received a gift uh, that is representative of the multifaceted grace of God. Here, Paul uh, gives this list, and whichever one we look at, we'll begin, you know, prophecy not predicting the future, but proclaiming the truth. Um, It may be more noticeable and pronounced in some people than others, but uh, we're all called to proclaim the truth, right? We should all be proclaiming the truth. Uh, He says, uh, uh, Paul says, in, in accordance with our faith, in proportion to our faith, according to our maturity, but we're all to be proclaiming the truth. Then he talks about uh, service in our service. We're all to be serving one another, right? We're all to be teaching. There's always somebody you can teach, and there's always somebody who can teach you. Um, Exhortation. You you can be encouraging somebody. Everybody should be encouraged. Some have a, a, a stronger motivation towards that. But we all should be encouraging one another, and then others are encouraging us. One who contributes in generosity, we should all be generous. Everything we've got comes from God. Um, the one who leads with zeal, some of our administrative uh, uh, able to organize and get things done. One who does acts of mercy. All of us, this is just Christian virtues, right? Um, so I, I've, I've accumulated these things, thought about what Peter says, and here's my conclusion on spiritual gift. How do you know what spiritual gift you have? Well, there's going to be desires that go along with the Spirit indwelling you and gifting you. God has given you experiences. God has given you education. God has given you the Spirit. 
And so some, there's going to be some desires to serve in different ways. Um, dominating motivations, dominating skills maybe. And our, our giftedness implants the desires in our heart and leads us into particular areas of ministry. The younger we are as Christians, the more, um, the highest motivation of our life will be more obvious. But as time goes by and we mature in Christian virtue and Christian character, it should become less obvious as the Lord makes us into the image of Christ who displayed each of these characteristics perfectly. Um, so our desires to be like him should be to be at work in all of these areas. Our goal should be to exhibit his life in ours so others might see Christ in us, glorify God, who is making us like him. And in this way, we don't have to rely on man-made tests or methods to determine giftedness. We strive to be all that the Bible calls us to be. When needs arise, fulfill them. Teaching, giving, serving, all of these lists. Try your hand in areas that you want to go to, that you want to do. And then focus on the area that he helps you to be effective. So, you don't have to identify these. But as we grow and your desires are changing as, as Christ is maturing you, do what you want to do. Try things you want to try. And if you're effective, the Lord is at work in your life and is using your giftedness. So, any question, any comments about that? Uh, that's not really how, how, how I learned spiritual gifts, but it's kind of where I've come to since then. All right, well, we better stop. So we can go, and, well, we've got a break right here. We're at the right place for a break, a new, chat, a new paragraph of uh, suffering as a Christian. All right. Father, we do ask that in our journey as Christians that we would seek to be done with sin. We can't do it on our own. But you have enabled us. You've indwelt us, your spirit, who empowers us to overcome every temptation. Help us, Lord, to have a sense of urgency that the time is near. Forgive us for our complacency. And because the time is near, Lord, help us to be faithful. To use the equipping power that you have given us. To be hospitable, to be loving, sober-minded. 
because the days are evil. Help us to redeem the time. We thank you for your word. Lord, it's the things that, it's not the things that we don't understand, it's the things that we do understand that we so much desire to be able to put into effect in our lives. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.